political narrative in the speeches that Modi gave in Hindi. He pointed out that Chandrayaan 3 is going to be the first probe that's going to land on the South Pole. Now, it seems like Russia is going to beat them to the game. It appears like that, right? Because the Russian landing is on August 21st. Schedule landing is August 21st and India's landing is 23rd. Russia took a much more direct approach to the moon. So uh, I think this is going to create, it might not be visible, but this creates that kind of anxiety. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Welcome back to the Downlink Podcast. This week's episode is the tale of two lunar landers. The stage is the moon's south pole, where you can find and possibly extract two key volatiles, Oxygen and hydrogen, the ingredients of water and rocket fuel, have been found there in the form of water ice. This week, each of the lander teams will attempt what no one has achieved before, a soft touchdown in the lunar south. All previous attempts have crashed. The players are two major spacefaring nations, India, the world's largest democracy. The other is Russia, an autocracy engaged in a treaty shredding and bloody land grab in Europe. For almost six decades, India and Russia have worked well together in arms sales and development, in educational exchanges, and in the space domain. India's first astronaut, Rakesh Sharma, punched through the Karman line in 1984 aboard a Soyuz T-11 rocket bound for the Soviet Union's Salyut 7 space station. But that relationship just isn't so warm and fuzzy anymore. And the timing, as well as the missions themselves, are a stark illustration of the evolving competition between two divergent visions for the future of space, space commerce and space security. One version is encapsulated in a rules-based system enshrined in the United States-led Artemis Accords, which India signed in June. The other is China's International Lunar Research Station program, which counts Russia and Venezuela as partners. To set up this week's events, which could see two moon landings touching down just shy of 150 kilometers apart, we have Namrata Goswami and Pavel Luzin. Here is our conversation. Hello, Namrata. Pavel, welcome back to the Downlink podcast. Thank you for having us, Laura. Thanks for for the invitation. You know, it's been too long since I've had you on the podcast, and that goes double for you, Pavel. So we need to do some brief introductions. Namrata, why don't you start? Sure, Laura. So my name is Namrata Goswami, and I am an independent scholar on space policy and international relations. I also teach space policy at the Thunderbird School of Global Management, Arizona State University, And recently, I co-authored a book called Scramble for the Skies, The Great Power Competition to Control the Resources of Outer Space. Great to be here. And Pavel, it's been a while and a lot has changed, especially your city, state, and postal code. You're no longer in St. Petersburg, Russia, but here in the United States. So take a moment to introduce yourself, what you're doing, and you know, where the audience can access your work. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is uh, Pavel Luzin. I'm a 
PhD in international relations, uh, and currently I am in the United States, in Boston. I am a visiting scholar at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. I am also a senior fellow at Jamestown Foundation in D.C. I am also a non-resident senior, senior fellow at the Center for European Policy Analysis, also in D.C. Uh, my primary topics are Russian military sector, uh, Russian space policy, and, uh, of course, uh, Russian uh, foreign policy. Again, thank you both for joining me today to discuss the latest in the moon race. We're going to start by setting the scene for what's happening in just a few days, a deeply prideful and perhaps territorial face-off with both Russian and Indian moon missions arriving at the moon's southern polar region at nearly the same time, possibly just hours apart. Namrata, why don't you start with the Indian mission, as it was the first to launch in July. You know, what are the mission's goals? What does it mean to the Indian population, especially in light of the crushing hangover from Chandrayaan 2? <laughs> uh, thank you for that question, and I agree with you. There has been a crushing hangover from Chandrayaan 2. So for your audience, Chandrayaan 2 was the mission that India launched in 2019 and attempted to soft land in the South Pole and uh, the mission failed in the last few seconds. And that resulted in enormous level of disappointment and also heartbreak because uh, the whole nation was watching. So fast forward to uh, this month, uh, as we all know, India launched the Chandrayaan-3 mission on July 14, as Laura said. Uh, it's entered uh, lunar orbit on August uh, 5th. And today it's uh, around the moon and is hoping to land, soft land on the moon by August 23rd. So the Chandrayaan-3 mission is actually a follow-on mission from the Chandrayaan-2. And the idea is that with this particular mission, India hopes to demonstrate uh, three critical goals. One is that it has the capability to land safely and soft on the moon. So that's an important capability that India wants to showcase through the Chandrayaan-3 because the Chandrayaan-2 failed in that particular effort. And can I just butt in for a quick second? With Chandrayaan-1, didn't they slam something into the moon? They slammed the orbiter into the moon. So the Chandrayaan-1 mission had an orbiter and that was used to uh, basically confirm the uh, presence of water ice, and that's what happened in that particular mission. But there was no uh, lander or rover, so there was no deliberate process to land on the moon in that particular mission. And so what are the goals then for Chandrayaan-3? Like, what are they trying to do there? So as I mentioned, the first goal is to demonstrate a safe and soft landing on the lunar surface, the second important goal is to demonstrate a rover that can move on the moon's surface. So basically a very important uh, mission. And the third goal is to conduct certain in-situ uh, scientific experiments. So India has sent uh, about four experiments on the lander and two experiments that will be on the rover. And the idea is that this is the first time that India will actually land on another planetary surface, India has never done that. The Mars mission and the Chandrayaan-1 mission did not have a lander or a rover. And so these are the goals for this particular mission. So the idea is that India wants to showcase that it has end-to-end -end 
lunar capacity. So launch, propulsion, orbiter, lander, and rover. So these are the very clear, very simple, but very critical goals for India's Chandrayaan-3 mission. And what does the Chandrayaan mission mean specifically to Prime Minister Narendra Modi? I mean, personally, we all know that ISRO's Chandrayaan lunar exploration campaign, you know, is an Indian effort, but it's also called the Modi to the Moon program as well. So what does it mean to the actual leader of the nation? So uh, if you think about India's lunar mission, it was not uh, truly under the Narendra Modi government that it started. It started under the Congress government. And so 2008 was a very different regime in power. And so fast forward to the Chandrayaan-3 mission, uh, for Modi and the Bharatiya Janata Party that Modi leads, the Chandrayaan-3 mission has two critical internal goals. One is that it showcases a rising space power. So that's why the importance for the Indian Space Research Organization, which is a part of the civilian diplomatic effort of India to showcase its space capability, that it can actually carry out a landing mission on another surface. So that's very important for Modi. Second, what is interesting is that today is India's Independence Day, August 15, when India got independent from the British in 1947. And Prime Minister Modi actually gave a speech today to the people of India, and he pointed out that the critical importance of the Chandrayaan-3 mission is to showcase that India has the ability to inspire its young people to invest in a space future where the moon becomes a part of India's effort. Second, what is interesting personally to Modi is that this means that uh, Modi can now showcase India's Chandrayaan-3 mission success if it lands successfully as part of its re-election campaign next year, which is 2024. So you can see that in the speech that he actually referred to uh, India's space mission. And finally, what was even more interesting to me was that he showcased the contribution of women to the Chandrayaan-3 mission and the importance that India's women scientists play in the development of India's scientific temper. So he's made it a very personal story in my estimation. Now, Pavel, now that we understand a bit what the stakes are for India, I want you to tell us about what Roscosmos hopes to achieve from its Luna 25 mission. You know, what's the importance of this mission to the people, the Russian Federation? Does the fact that this is a time of war actually intensify the anticipation? Or do people feel like there are more important things to, you know, focus on? Meh. What's the feeling amongst the people in Russia for this mission? So, uh, firstly, Luna 25 uh, is a long-term, long-delayed homework of the Russian civil space probe. Originally, it started in 1997, so 26 years ago. Uh, then, when uh, Russia got a lot of petrodollars in early 2000s, and uh, was ready to invest into space exploration. Russia started cooperation with European partners, European universities, European Space Agency, which was engaged into Luna 25 mission. Uh, and also Russia was going to cooperate in its moon exploration program with India. And uh, Russia was trying to synchronize 
Luna 25 with uh, Indian Chandrayaan 2. But uh, because of delays, because of uh, some technical troubles, troubles with, um, with politicians, the uh, Luna 25 probe was delayed many, many times. Firstly, it was planned, it was scheduled for launch in 2014, the year of annexation of Crimea and the year when the Russian war against Ukraine began. You know, I didn't know that. Yes. Then, then, wow. then it was uh, rescheduled for 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, and then finally 2023. And the problem is that Luna 25, uh, the main purpose of Luna 25 uh, is a technology demonstration because, because there should be a following missions. Firstly, Luna 26 the lunar orbital probe, and Luna 27, the lunar landed probe, landing probe, I mean. And uh, they, uh, the, the, the following missions, uh, they should have a more advanced uh, scientific equipment because on Luna 25, with all its weight uh, and dry weight on, of Luna 25 is uh, 751 kilograms, the weight of scientific equipment is no more than 30 kilograms. Uh, the, the main purpose is technology demonstration, demonstration of landing. So what does that tell you? I mean, yes, is it just for the demonstration of being able to land, even though Russia has proven that it has the capability to yes. land? It has, it has the heritage of it. Yes. Uh, Russia is trying to, uh, to prepare itself for following missions, Luna 26 and Luna 27. And then uh, there should be Luna 28, but currently it is postponed indefinitely. As uh, head of Roscosmos, it's a Russian state-owned uh, space corporation. Uh, he said several days ago, uh, Luna 28, it's a sample return mission. Uh, Luna 28 will be somewhere after 2030. We don't know yet. But original plan was starting with these probes, Luna 25, Luna 26, Luna 27, in cooperation with India, in cooperation with Europeans, uh, it was also a preparation for Russian participation in American moon exploration program. Firstly, gateway station, and then uh, widely uh, Artemis program. But currently, currently, after, after the full-scale invasion in Ukraine on February 24, 2022, Russia lost this prospect. Russia made its homework, but without any proper, clear, and certain prospect. Because Luna 26, Luna 27, they are dependent on European electronic equipment, scientific equipment, and so on. And currently, uh, Russia is trying to replace this scientific equipment uh, with its own equipment. And even on the example of, of relatively simple Luna 25 demonstrates that for Russia, it's, it's really, really hard to replace, to substitute the imported equipment because the original dry weight of Luna 25 was 590 kil, uh, kilograms. Currently, it is 751 kilograms. Why? Because of R Russian electronic equipment, 
uh, Russian space-grade electronics, uh, some electrical uh, components, uh, communication system is just heavier. Uh, it's more simple, uh, heavier, uh, and um, e- even if Russia is capable, uh, was capable to do this on Luna 25, we don't have guarantees that Russia will be capable to uh, do this with Luna 26, Luna 27. As uh, as a chief of the project, of the Russian Moon project, told early this year, they just started to replace, to substitute the European electronics. Luna 27 is scheduled for uh, 2027 or 2028. 2027, 2028. And they just started to do something with this probe. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not sure that, uh, that we will not see a further delays in this uh, Russian moon program. And the problem is that for what purpose? Okay, science. Yes, uh, science is good. But when you threaten your scientists with uh, espionage articles, uh, espionage charges, when you prevent your scientists from cooperation with American colleagues, with European colleagues, sometimes with Indian colleagues and even with Chinese colleagues. So uh, what is the future? And when you kicked off from uh, Gateway Project, from Artemis program, uh, what is your future? And of course, the Kremlin is trying to use Luna 25 as a great propaganda uh, campaign. Look, uh, despite despite all the war, uh, all the stuff, all the confrontation with the West, uh, we are still capable to do something on the moon. Let's let's cooperate with us. But even 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 the People's Republic of China, with whom Russia was trying to cooperate, even the People's Republic of China does not uh, look optimistically on the partnership uh, with Russia. When when Xi Jinping came to Russia in March 2023, one of the important parts of his negotiations with Putin and with the Russian government was space cooperation. And the People's Republic of China told, we are going to cooperate with Russia according to our long-term program for space cooperation that is scheduled uh, for 2027. And they don't have any vision beyond 2027. And uh, so the Russian moon exploration program is a victim of uh, the Russian foreign policy, of the Russian uh, aggressive behavior. Let me just jump in and ask you this, though. I mean, how did the people of Russia, though, feel about it? I mean, are they excited? Are they like, oh, gosh, I hope it it doesn't crash? I mean, where's what's the vibe there? I mean, what are they feeling? Uh, as I can see, uh, people uh, are, try, uh, are trying to be enthusiastic. People are uh, still trying to be optimistic. They, uh, they see that Russia sent something uh, on the moon. They, uh, of course, they don't care uh, uh, about uh, uh, the amount of scientific tools on board of, of this probe. They don't know about uh, Luna 26, Luna 27. Probably they heard something uh, from the Russian TV channels that uh, Luna 25 is just the first step here. And uh, of course, they want to see some success. But their main motivation here 
is also political and ideological motivation. Oh, the whole world is against us, but we are still capable to send something to the moon. And for me, it's a pity because uh, I, I, I don't see, you know, uh, too many people who are going to apply for technical universities in Russia, who are going to apply for space um, education, for rocket science, uh, uh, some uh, astrophysics, uh, and so on. Not too many people are going to be space scientists. But uh, almost all Russians uh, are wanting to be proud uh, of, of something because uh, currently there are not too many things to be proud of. Well, speaking of pride, though, like Modi, I'm imagining that the stakes for Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, you know, the stakes for him politically and perhaps even personally, especially for maintaining the perception of power, you know, as it wasn't so long ago that his chef's personal army was driving up the road to meet out some you know, rough and weird justice. For Putin personally, how critical is this mission? Uh, so um, for him personally, it is a critical because of uh, his reputation, because of reputation of the authoritarian system uh, of Russia. But uh, comparing to Narendra Modi, you know, I was able to uh, to contact uh, Narendra Modi several times uh, and uh, to some Indian politicians and high-ranking officials uh, during the last years because I visited India, some forums, uh, and so on. And I saw how the Indian ruling class is caring about India's development, economic development, scientific development, technological development. Uh, social development. And uh, I see how the Russian ruling class doesn't care about this. It cares only about uh, its power, its reputation, uh, and so on. That, uh, that is the main problem. Because when Putin talks to uh, Modi, Modi has a vision, long-term vision of India in this world. And Vladimir Putin does not have a vision of Russia in this world. I got to ask you guys, what's the state of the relationship between Modi and Putin, which is kind of a weird way of saying between India and Russia, but considering these two men and their sheer power to write their nation's future, it's kind of fitting, right? I mean, traditionally, the two nations have been friendly, lots of educational and scientific exchanges. They've had a healthy arms trade. They've stayed out of each other's way, even when that has been somewhat morally bankrupt, such as now with India refusing to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But I got to say, as an outsider, and I'm just setting up some recent developments like Russia signing a defense agreement with China, while China has even resorted to using force to plant a flag in Indian territory. You've got India now as an Artemis Accords signatory with the U.S., plus the Quad Group. That includes the U.S., Japan, and Australia. And on top of all that, with you know now India and the United States having pointedly taken real steps to deepen their defense cooperation, especially in the space domain, but also the maritime domain and the cyber domain, I've got to wonder, what's the status of this relationship? It feels like it's 
fractured? Well, uh, I can answer that, and then I'll be very interested to hear Pavel's point of view as well. So I think if you look at the state of India-Russia relationship, the convergence between the U.S. and India started around 2000 with Bill Clinton's visit. So there was a clear shift in Indian thinking that uh, the United States is going to be a key partner. And I always remind people that because people tend to think that this is something that has happened under the current Modi government. But no, this has been in the making for several years. Decades. Decades. And so you had George Bush and the nuclear deal that the U.S. signed with India. That was just an amazing development for India because historically, India has been very non-aligned. And so for the first time, India started talking about convergence, strategic partnership, uh, you know, emerging countries in the democratic world order. So India was already starting to have that narrative. So now today, when you think about the Modi uh, and the uh, Putin relationship, uh, what I see, what Modi has done is that Modi has very clearly defined what is in India's national interest. And the more important thing is that Modi has parliamentary majority. He is democratically elected. So you might think that some of his behavior appears authoritarian, but actually this is supported by being democratically elected and not once, but twice, right? So as Pavel was saying, there is a particular vision that doesn't get reflected in the Western media. When you go to India, you hear it. Uh, Modi's vision for a clean India, Modi's vision for India becoming a major technological power, Modi's vision for jobs, for development has resonance in Indian society, right? So given that, what Modi has decided, and it's very clear, that uh, the relationship with the United States is going to be a key factor. And the relationship, not just with the U.S., but also countries like France. Modi visited France during Bastille Day celebration this year. So it's going to be extremely critical. And I think what is happening on the moon today also has to be seen from a strategic perspective, right? So India has really invested in becoming the first nation to land on the South Pole of the Moon, right? It's a symbolic uh, desire. But again, if you listen to the local narrative and the speeches that Modi gave in Hindi, he pointed out that Chandrayaan-3 is going to be the first probe that's going to land on the South Pole. Now, it seems like Russia is going to beat them to the game. It appears like that, right? Because the Russian landing is on August 21st. Schedule landing is August 21st and India's landing is 23rd. Russia took a much more direct approach to the moon. So uh, I think this is going to create, it might not be visible, but this creates that kind of anxiety between Russia and India. And the two men, Putin, uh, who is not democratically elected, whereas Modi is, there there seems to be fractures in the relationship. Another way you can see fracture is that Russia has, in recent years, reached out to Pakistan and, as you said, signed up very critical agreements with China exactly at the time when China was actually fighting Indian soldiers in the line of actual control. And Indian strategic thinkers will uh, remember that, right? That particular incidents happen. So it's, it's, it seems like the relationship is strained. It seems like uh, Modi has taken a foreign policy decision that collaborating with the United States is very good for a confident major power like India and also trying to send a signal to China, Russia, that India has choices if it wants to make that decision. And Pavel, how do you see it? 
so uh, I see uh, these uh, relations in a broader context of uh, cooperational projects. And uh, we, we see that the golden age of Russia-India cooperation, technological cooperation, military cooperation, uh, has already passed. For instance, uh, when the, the Russian invasion into Ukraine in February 2022 started, Russia was unable to supply India with, uh, in, on time. Uh, so supply and time, air defense systems, some aircraft engines, and so uh, uh, and so on. Russia tried to engage India into fifth generation aircraft project, and India decided to go alone without Russia because Russia is not too trusty partner, unfortunately. And uh, even the story uh, of uh, Russian moon exploration program and its attempt to cooperate with India. India decided to go alone because uh, the uh, Russian side was unable to propose something uh, something significant here. Uh, Russia proposed only delays, delays, and delays again in its moon exploration program. The same, the same, the same is towards China, because um, uh, originally, well, not originally, but uh, three years ago. Uh, Russia was trying to synchronize its moon exploration program with Chinese ex- moon exploration program. But because of delays, this synchronization became just in- impossible. Uh, the Chinese side uh, decided to go alone because Russia is not a trusted partner. Despite the fact that uh, the People's Republic of China plays a tricky role in uh, Russia-Ukraine uh, war, China is not going to, you know, to put everything uh, in the Russian basket. I, I, I presume that uh, Russia-India relations at, at current point, it's just uh, some tactical relations. India may purchase Russian oil uh, with a significant discount. Why not? Uh, India does this uh, because of its national interest. India still can get some Russian military equipment. Why not? If uh, India is still dependent on the Russian military technologies uh, in main battle tanks, in aircraft, and so on, why not? India does this, but towards uh, the long-term prospect, towards the strategic relations, towards the further cooperation. No, uh, India, India does not have uh, optimism here because what Russia can propose to India, nothing. The United States can propose uh, India technologies, uh, business models in uh, industry, in uh, high-tech industries, in space explorations, in nuclear power and so on. France can propose uh, the same things. Israel can propose uh, India some military equipment and some technologies. uh, And even... In space, India pays a lot of attention to the private space sector. Because of what? Because of India's intention to be a part of the West space market. European Union plus United States plus Japan plus Canada and plus India itself. And I can can imagine uh, that in coming years, uh, India and Japan 
will conduct uh, common missions in outer space. But I cannot imagine how Russia and India can cooperate in outer space uh, in current circumstances. So let me ask you guys this, because this is the burning question that needs to be answered. So India launched on July 14th. And as you said, Modi was in in Paris for Bastille Day at the time, which is also a major spacefaring nation. So it's kind of a pride thing too. It's kind of cool, right? And I just kind of wonder, was the, was the choice of the state for Russia to launch now just suddenly made, or, or does it just seem that way? And then to, you know, expend so much fuel, the, the trajectory that they've taken, you know, launch on August 10th, arrive basically 11 days or under and to beat India out. I mean, is this an intentional snub or is this just coincidence? Is this like one of those sort of weird coinky dinks? Well, the better part of me would like to hope that this has nothing to do with uh, beating India to the South Pole. This is what Russia had always intended. The Luna 25 has been in the planning for some time. It had It has been delayed, as you know. And uh, they were thinking of launching later this year, but then suddenly they launched, right? So the better part of me would like to think that it has nothing to do with uh, beating India to the South Pole. Now, the strategic part of me also understands that India actually made a very strategic choice this year in June when they signed the Artemis Accords, right? So as you know, Russia has been very critical of the Artemis Accords. In fact, Russia, if I remember right, designated the Artemis Accord as an attempt by the United States to colonize the moon. They, they use the term colonize because there's private industry involved. And as Pavel was saying, India is also very much interested in private development of space. So given that... It's also a trigger word for the developing world and also for India. I yeah. mean, to colonize the moon, to use the word colony yeah. uh, to, with an Indian audience. I mean, it's, I mean, the word choice was for real. But yeah. India joining the Artemis Accord uh, creates legitimacy for the United States, uh, you know, led Artemis lunar development. Secondly, it counters such a narrative that Russia put out because India, of course, is the biggest sufferer of British colonialism, has that history. And so I think, I think there could be, you know, we might not see it in the surface. And of course, both nations are reassuring and, and stating that this is fine. The moon is big, you know, uh, we are not going to be disturbing each other's mission. But underneath it, there has to be the anxiety in Russia as well, that India is very clearly moving out of that particular strategic, uh, that golden age of relationship that they had. There is probably that calculation as well. And don't forget, if India is the first nation to land on the South Pole, it will become the first Artemis signatory to land on the South Pole of the moon. Even the United States has not done that. And so that itself sends an amazing signal. So I think that has been a part of the calculation as well. It, Russia is not seeing India, in my perspective, as India, the nation that they once had such a great strategic partnership with. Russia is now seeing India as part of the Artemis Accords. So there are these calculations. I, I would like to think that there are strategic calculations as well. I'm, I'm hoping I'm wrong. but Pavel, that. I agree with uh, Namrata that uh, Russia could be and must be more polite with uh, its partner 
because there are not too many partners like India in this world uh, for, for Moscow. But I'm afraid, or not afraid, but I presume that uh, it was you know, kind of interagency miscommunication, miscalculation, because Roscosmos uh, had its own purpose. Finally, we need to do this. Finally, we need to uh, to to launch Luna twenty five uh, to the moon because we do have a window, launch window for for, for this. And uh, I believe that guys in Roscosmos uh, they didn't know that India was go was going was going to launch uh, its proper uh, at, at, at the same uh, at the same moment no. or, or people people who who knew this information, they did, did not communicate with people who, who were responsible for, for launch and for the program. And you know, the trajectory of Luna 25, really fast trajectory, uh, it is determined not because of you know, Russia in a hurry or something like that, but because of Russia is trying to repeat uh, its uh, 1966 lunar mission, I mean, uh, Soviet lunar mission, because they... Uh, they didn't use too sophisticated uh, software. They didn't have, uh, you know, the network. Nobody or, had sophisticated software then in 1966. No, currently. Just I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, currently, uh, Russia uh, still tries to make things simpler. And um, you know, uh, Luna 25 is going uh, to the moon according to the classical ballistic algorithms. And, and that's why India can land on the moon earlier than Russia, because uh, Russian side does not know when exactly the uh, Luna 25 probe will land on the moon. They, they do have uh, uh, several days, from August 21 to August 26, and they will decide in coming days wh- when they will make attempt to land. Because they don't know uh, yet uh, how how the things are going on. Wow, I really had no idea <laughs> that was going on. Okay, all right. So now that we have an understanding of the depth of the fracturing and and whether or not, or rather, maybe a cloudy idea about whether or not this was really an intentional snub, or it just sort of is a coincidence that. Russia is going to roughly the same area at pretty much the same time. I'm kind of wondering if, you know, is this going to turn into some sort of unfriendly competition in the long run? Is this an example of this, of, of what's going on in the moon? or and, and what does it mean for the space domain generally? Right. And more particularly, you know, what does that mean for Russia and India going forward? I mean, this is happening now. It seems a bit funky, but how is this going to be for the long run? Well, if I may start. So I think uh, if you look at the comprehensive uh, space agreement that India and the uh, comprehensive agreement that includes space that India and the U.S. signed this year, uh, you can see that uh, the shift in Indian uh, space collaborative efforts. So historically, India has trained with the Yuri Gagarin Cosmonaut Training Center. Uh, 2021, Indian Air Force pilots trained there. 
But today, uh, India has signed an agreement with the U.S. to uh, train their astronauts in Johnson Space Center, right? And then next year, India is hoping to uh, collaboratively go with the United States to the International Space Station exactly at the time when Russia has announced that it might leave the International Space Station, right? And so fast forward, based on these kind of developments, and this is an interesting uh, development for India's own foreign policy. So uh, I think India's, especially the BJP government, has historically, including under Atal Bihari Bajpai, uh, who was the former BJP prime minister, has historically desired a better relationship with the U.S., at the same time ensuring that the relationship with Russia remains at an even keel as well, right? So fast forward, say, if I look 10 years from today, if you think about the space uh, situation, I think uh, India has clearly, clearly betted on the U.S. side in this regard. If you look at the moon, the U.S. has a long vision of what it wants to accomplish, for example, on the moon with the Artemis program. And India is a partner to that today. Right. And so in that, I do not see a Russia-India collaboration happening because of that organizational, institutional, also U.S. international traffic on arms reduction and other issues will come in. Right. In terms of collaboration. So very important institutional reasons. I think people don't realize that 2020 changed India's mindset vis-a-vis Russia and China. Because in 2020, there were 20 Indian security personnel that died in a battle with China. And that had a deep impact that is not reflected in the conversations here. When I was listening to the Indian media, the anxiety, the anger that this has happened, that Chinese PLA, People's Liberation Army personnel crossed the line of actual control. And within that particular framework, Russia was pushing for a deeper relationship with China. I think that has entered the Indian calculation in the long run. Uh, and as, uh, as I know, China-Russia has signed an agreement to develop the moon together. They have not retreated. Uh, the Ch- China National Space Administration continues to project that as a very important part of their relationship. Oh, they've got another partner too. They've they've got you know Venezuela. Sorry, I know I'm snickering. No, Sorry, okay, but uh, President Xi Jinping wrote an op-ed when he visited uh, Russia that was published in Xinhua that pointed out that for him, uh, Russia is the most critical partner in the era of today, and India is seeing all that right. And so fast forward, I see there will be even more diversion because of India's own national interest calculation and the concern that Russia might be playing into the Chinese camp. And so these are the these are all based on India's national interests. Even the relationship with the U.S. is based on that. And so I I see uh, a difficult collaborative effort happening, given this uh, calculations. Pavel, what do you see 10 years out? What do you think we're going to be at? Ten years uh, in forward. Uh, if we will not dive into the global war, hopefully. Well, that's a cheerful opening. Uh, we, we, will, we will see that uh, International Space Station partners without Russia, but with India, which uh, probably will replace Russia uh, as a key uh, non-Western partner in outer space, they will realize uh, moon exploration manned program. Also, the private orbital stations 
maybe one, maybe a couple of them, created by American, European, and Indian companies as a contractors and subcontractors and so on and so on, and uh, Japanese private firm, uh, firms and so on, they will cooperate in low Earth orbit. And uh, it will be a great uh, space market where other countries like Brazil, like Mexico, like Egypt, they will try to join this market. We will see China, which will try to go alone, but probably China will try to extend the network of space partners. And China will work on the low Earth orbit, but also will try to send its cosmonauts, astronauts, taken out to the moon, maybe together with uh, partners. But partners w- will be dependent on, <laughs> on People's Republic of China, of course. And towards Russia, even, even the top managers of Roscosmos Corporation, they don't know where Russia will be in 10 years in space and what Russia will do there. Because they expressed these uh, you know, feelings in their interviews, in their public interest in Russian state-owned media. And underlines, you may read, that they hope, and their only hope, that the war will be ended and that they will be capable to come to Washington, D.C., and to Brussels, and to Tokyo, and ask, guys, forgive us. Please take us on board. Please take us on board. That is the level of uh, Russian strategic uh, space planning. People, people who manage Roscosmos, uh, they understand very well that Russia cannot go alone in outer space. Because in previous 30 years, Russia was completely dependent on cooperation with uh, the United States, uh, European partners, Canada and Japan. And uh, Russia was interesting to space powers like India and China because of Russian-Soviet-era technological heritage and because of Russian partnership with the United States, Europe, Canada, and Japan, because Russia was on board of the International Space Station, because the American space shuttles uh, uh, were docking to uh, Russian National uh, Space Station Mir in 1995-1996 and so on. Currently, Russia can propose nothing to India, can propose nothing to China. You know, in G20 meetings, Russia proposed Algeria and Egypt and Indonesia uh, to join Russian uh, space program. But what what Russia can propose to Egypt and Algeria if Egypt and Algeria and Indonesia uh, may cooperate within the Artemis Accord without the threat of being sanctioned? Well, I actually have, if if I I just have one small point to make, and that is that what Pavel said is so important and insightful. And I think that is why the Russian Luna 25 probe has such significance for me, right? So it is so true that Russia, post-Soviet Union era, depends a lot on collaboration for its own capability in space. We do know that the European Space Agency canceled almost all its uh, lunar cooperation agreement with Russia. So fast forward to August. If Russia successfully lands on the lunar South Pole, Putin's strategic move here is to showcase to those nations that stopped collaborating and the 
very, very debilitating Western sanctions that Russia still has that capability. That Russia still has the right stuff. And and don't forget, soft landing on the lunar South Pole has been tried. No nation has succeeded, at least those who tried. Japan with iSpace crashed in the last few minutes. And if so, Russia succeeds, that is a big signal to the world that we still have it, right? Exactly. And so that's what I think Putin is hoping to achieve. So I am so sure that the Roscosmos scientists are under enormous pressure to succeed because of the situation that he finds himself in. So that's why, mark my words, if Russia succeeds, everybody will start talking about how Russia still has it in terms of space capability, right? And so that's something that we also need to keep in mind. Uh, and if India succeeds as well, I mean, it's it'll be an interesting... So that's why uh, I'm glad you're speaking this particular topic because it's so strategically significant. Exactly. Namrata, Pavel... Thank you both so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow the downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Cavus Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.